This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Yeah. All right. So, so we started from running quality score and then talked about the three different variables. How, how do you see this running quality score or movement quality affecting the trainability, the, the injury resistance? How, how do you see this as the role? And you, you train with the elite, you are mm-hmm. coaching the elite runners. How do you, how do you use it? How important do you see this factor? Yeah, I think uh, for elite runners, actually, um, yeah, when you have a good movement quality, so you're capable of transferring the forces better over the full body, and you're not just overloading one specific area, then of course you can run for a longer time with that without having like uh, a specific load on a structure. So the better the movement quality, the more you can run for a certain load on the body. So therefore, it's really important to have not only a strong body. Uh, yes, strong structures, but also having a good movement quality, so you're able to um, transfer the forces over the, very well over the body. Yeah, look, so- sounds very interesting. And and how do you see when you when you have a group of elite runners, how much there is difference between running quality score? Because yeah, they run like probably 150 200 kilometers per week so they get <laughs> they have been doing quite a bit of running does it kind of reach the plateau at some point or or do you see that there's still a lot of differences and a lot of improvements to be made uh, well um so uh, maybe to go a little bit deeper on what i do uh, for uh, the runners so we have like our physiological coach and uh, the 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 coach that is uh, making the programs of um, the the training. And my job is actually to find a way, okay, how can we supplement it with strength training? So I am more from the performance training and working on their technique. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's actually a balancing act. Eh? So we need to find a way in, uh, okay, how can we supplement eh, some extra work within their training program of 100 to, to yeah, 150K per week? Yeah. That's a really important thing. And I don't think it's only by strength training, but also, okay, speed training is a very important uh, variable, which also uh, loads the structures very differently. And I think the combination of the two is very important to really make progress in all aspects. Yeah, sounds very, very interesting. I'm looking at my notes. I have a page full of notes. So we have covered now the injury resistance, low tolerance, movement quality, is there something you want to still add to this uh, defining yeah. a resilient runner? Yes, actually, so we have low tolerance, strong body, good movement yeah. quality, but yeah. it was also important and that's very interesting. So in the past, we did all tests in a laboratory environment. So uh, using a 3D motion capture system, having uh, force plates. Yeah. But there was a big gap between what we see in the lab and what happens outdoors. So we now can shift from the lab to the outdoor environment through this wearable technology. 
And what is very important here is, okay, actually what is still more important is actually the, how are you resistant to environmental and fatigue? Mm. Because we can clearly see that the running quality can change during a run. And of course this matters. It's not only what we see in one, two minutes of recording, it's what we see also outdoors. Yeah, makes makes sense. And I, I think we are usually really limited. I remember when when working in academia that, for example, we are measuring walking and then we have a force plate and you need to step on the uh, on the plate once. So you walk and then you see the plate and you step and then like and then, then we define that all right, they they step like this and it it made yeah. a difference even if there was a wall close to the force plate or if you were able to hide it better that how do they step so i i think it's super important to be able to move in the in the real real world conditions and if if you start to look the fatigue fatigue resistance in the in the normal environment do you do you do the running on the track do you do it on on a gravel surface how how do you define the how do you take away the environmental changes that you would actually capture the fatigue but still have kind of natural conditions yeah i i will clarify like for example if you if the ground is a little bit uneven the steps will be different so we might consider that this is fatigue but if it was just that the ground was changing how how do you how do you do the test setup in the in yeah. the out out of the lab Yeah, so that's an important one. Uh, you have to consider uh, what protocol you are doing. Is it during an easy run? Uh, then, of course, fatigue is less... Um, yeah, in, in, in good runners, let us say. Eh? We don't see less fatigue happening. So there is not a lot of change in the, in the, um, in the parameters. Yeah. But, of course, it can change when you run on different surfaces. But what we see actually from the data is that uh, the data doesn't always change a lot. And I can also clearly see a difference between uh, recreational runners or runners that are more uh, injured at that moment compared to elite runners, that there is not a lot of shifts in the elite runner in what we measure in our measurements. Mm. And this is because uh, a runner is adaptive and flexible. So when we run, for example, downhill or uphill, we change our mechanics a little bit that works the best in that specific situation. Mm. And what we very often see is actually people that aren't adaptive or flexible. We see bigger shifts in our outputs. I think about how we absorb the impact. Think about the impact itself reaching the pelvis or the dynamic stability. So there is a bigger shift between these parameters with the different surfaces. And you said that we need to adapt to downhill and uphill. And which one was better to adapt more or adapt less? Uh, you mean uh, in the specific groups or? Yeah, I I, th I think you mentioned that the the recreational runners are changing the technique more. Did I hear it correctly or? Yeah, um, the elite runners can change ah, the technique more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're able to not change the output too much. Mm. While the recreational runner, and I have actually a very nice case in downhill running with uh, somebody with patellofemoral pain. And uh, when the person was running flat, we didn't see a big difference between the injured and non-injured side. Mm. And at the moment that the person was going downhill, you can clearly see that the impact absorption was 
like completely different between the left and the right. So this person was not yet able to adapt to the system, uh, to the to the specific situation of downhill running, mm. which is also something we need to consider. So is the person already already um, ready to change their system to run downhill in a good way? And and how how should you run downhill? I have sometimes had patellofemoral pain, and I can see that it is quite difficult to run downhill at that point how, how do we decrease the load there will be anyway be a lot of acceleration load when we go downhill how, how do we how should we do it in a way is there an optimal way of yeah. reducing the load yeah yeah it's a, it's a difficult question actually here i'm uh, i'm not a specialist in uh, downhill running so i don't do trail running uh, but yeah if you think about your downhill running yeah the best idea would be okay let's go smooth and Let's accelerate, mm. yeah. Because okay, let's let's uh, let, let's fall or um, uh, don't hang too much in the back. But the problem there is if we don't do that, we accelerate too much in a downhill. And what if it's a very long downhill? Yeah, sometimes the speed can be too high. So we still need to break a little bit. Yeah. But the question is, how do we break? Um, and I think it's a balancing act of um, your contact time. Not too long, because if you have too long contact, of course, you absorb a lot more on the knees. Yeah. It's a balancing act. So, and that's what you, a good feeling in this is very important. Uh, so how do you feel at that moment? Um, and I think shorter steps can help uh, to to minimize the load at each contact. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. When I, when I was living in the UK, there's quite a big culture of fell running, which is basically trail running in the hills. And I I wasn't too too good runner, but I I took part in the competitions, and I have been doing sprint running, so I was pretty good in the downhills. So there was many times that I was passing someone in the downhill; they were passing it in the next me next uphill. I was passing them in the downhill, and I could see the frustration in their face. They were like really pissed because they were faster, they, they had a better endurance, but I was able to just let go the downhill. Yeah, and and yeah, I I think that's the key that you don't step too long that you can just control the force when yes. it comes too big you let it go and and you can, you can you can let go so that's that's really interesting but maybe we go a little bit sideways here from the downhill uphill so if we go to the fatigue resistance how do you see that recreational runners for example how long they can run kind of moderate intensity running for them that the fatigue starts to play major yeah that's a that's a good question i think it's very individual uh so that's the reason why we try to oh uh, that's why we measure it eh? just to see okay how is the person able to not change his technique so we can't uh, predict this uh from just the level of running so it's very individual and I think which is what is very important is, um, of course, and we don't need to neglect this, your aerobic fitness plays a vital role. So the better you are, your aerobic system is, the less prone you're actually to fatigue, in a sense. So if somebody is untrained and you see, oh, actually, when you run um, for a longer time, okay, this person is maybe not yet fit enough to do this task. And we first need to build up a better, better mm. aerobic fitness. Yeah, and you you have done some measurement. Could you give some kind of indication that, for example, is it after five k, after twenty minutes of running, that there's a 
big difference in in running quality index or in some variable of the running quality index is is there some could you give some kind of concrete examples you have you have seen to get given idea if you compare the first minutes with um, after eight minutes or ten minutes there can already be a difference so uh, what we and that's a problem sometimes in the mm. lab uh, okay we don't uh, invest too much time in okay first adopt uh, till reaching a certain um, yeah a certain pattern and actually in research they saw that after eight minutes there was a better normalization in the pattern so actually that's the first thing that we can see what is uh, what are the values after eight minutes and then if I go deeper yeah. a little bit on this, so we also did a study on a 12-minute um, run. So at the K Leuven, there was like a Cooper test, so which is like a quite intensive test around and even above, uh, I think yeah, it's actually above threshold. And there you can clearly see a decremental in, mm -hmm. for example, dynamic stability. So that the dynamic stability was yeah, increasing, increasing, increasing till the end. So that fatigue is happening, but that's of course a high intensity effort. If you think about uh, where do we see also biggest changes is actually around or above the threshold. So from there, we can see already the biggest changes happening due to fatigue. And that's what you feel. Eh? If you run above threshold, mm -hmm. you feel that you're not able to run like uh, or as smooth as you do at, um, at uh, the slower paces. Yeah, if if you take a hundred meter sprint, even after like forty meters, you start to feel that ah, these steps are not not perfect. They they were not perfect in the beginning, but they they start to go down. Yeah, yeah, sounds so, sounds very interesting. So Philip, I think this has been super interesting as a recreational runner and as a as a researcher. I think this is very nice and I think it's very nice work you do at the Run Easy and I hope it, it becomes more used because I think it will be big help for recreational runners to avoid injuries, which is super important. They are usually passionate runners and the worst thing, not the worst, but a bad, really bad thing in their life is that they cannot run. So I, I really like what you're doing doing there. So thanks a lot for, for this recording. Okay, thank you, Oli. And uh, see you later. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old-school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and 
Have a great day.